This episode of the Insurance Coffee House is sponsored by Insurance Search. Insurance Search provides executive recruitment services to insurance companies and brokers in the UK and across the United States. Visit insurance-search.com for more details. The Insurance Coffee House, the place where you get to meet and learn from some of the most successful insurance business leaders from across the world. Hosted by Nick Hoadley, CEO of Insurance Search. Welcome to the Insurance Coffee House Global InsureTech Series. I'm Nick Hoadley, and each week you can join me as I interview leading InsureTech executives from around the world. We will be learning about the different InsureTech technologies and finding out how they can be a benefit to both insurance brokers and carriers when it comes to delivering for your customers. We'll also be learning about the different career opportunities available to insurance leaders within the InsureTech space and what benefits that can give to your career. I hope you enjoy the show. Today, I'm joined by Madhu Tadikonda, who is the president of Corvus Insurance. Corvus are a US cyber insurance insurtech, and Madhu joins me from Boston this morning. Welcome to the show, Madhu. Hey, thank you. Good to be here. Madhu, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. I know we've been discussing you coming onto the podcast for a little while now, so I'm really looking forward to hearing about the work that you're doing there at Corvus, but also some of the insights and some of the sharing that you have for us today. Before we go into that, though, do you mind sharing with our listeners a little bit more about your background first and your career and what led to you joining Corvus? Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's not a straightforward path. And I think it's a career path that would make more sense in retrospect, I think. But I started out as a philosophy major, which kind of prepares you for nothing and for everything at the same time. Started my career in management consulting and then was a venture capitalist all outside of insurance for the first 20 years. But the organizing theme was really around uh, businesses that could use data or analytics to make better decisions, whether it was consumer finance, credit card, mortgage, supply chain, price optimization, and retail. And then about 10 years ago, I was introduced to some of the folks at AIG who were thinking about using data science and analytics in a new way. And you know, the, pr- the pitch was pretty compelling, which is you know, insurance was the original information uh, industry and the original analytics industry but had kind of given up that lead and had not really exploited that. And so after a while, some coaxing and thinking through, I ended up joining AIG in a new data science group focused on claims, commercial insurance, and really trying to capitalize on the huge amount of data that AIG had as a market share leader for years and years. And after a couple of years of doing that, and you know, it, was, it was both kind of fun, but also challenging, which is you'd have tons of claims files, but they'd be in paper boxes in a warehouse. And so thinking about sort of exploiting that took some work. But after a couple of years, I became the uh, chief underwriting officer for commercial insurance and then for the whole PNC business globally, which was even more interesting in some ways, was using those kind of data analytics insights and model insights, but combining those with the underwriter judgment and really trying to figure out, you know, in theory, these this is how this should work and practically how it should come together. And AIG is a wonderful place to learn about every insurance product, 90 countries, everything from small warranties to the most complex sort of insurance uh, risks out there. Uh, and a great sort of training ground. About, let's say, about four years ago, I decided I want to do something more entrepreneurial. Still in the insurance, I'd been sort of bitten by the insurance bug and sort of captivated by the kinds of problems and things that the industry could do and ended up 
founding and sequence, I guess, two co-founding two insure tech startups, one called Archipelago, which is a commercial data and supporting sort of underwriting and risk-taking in that area. And then a second company called Bolt Tech, which is an insurance exchange globally connecting prospects to carrier balance sheets. And you know, both kind of the nice thing is if you can solve or address smallish problems in insurance, but the dollar flows are so huge, you can build valuable sort of interesting businesses. But candidly, both of those businesses kind of working on the margins of the traditional insurance process. You know, and I think one of the things I learned from AIG is you know, it's, it is fairly immune to disruption and going head to head against carriers in sort of established ways is sort of difficult for customers, for intermediaries, just the way people think about things. But then when I sort of got reintroduced, I guess, to the Corvus folks last year, really focus on cyber insurance, as you mentioned, and more broadly, just protecting the digital assets and digital operations of, of businesses sort of struck me that this is a real case where a new disruptive company can go against the incumbents. It's a brand new way of underwriting, a brand new sort of risk category and a way of thinking about it. And so it, it sort of got the courage to say, you know what, I think there's enough kind of disruption to go against the sort of steady guys and established guys in uh, in cyber. Ended up joining about five months ago. And uh, as, as president, as you mentioned. Yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. couple of questions I have there, actually, Maddie. First of all, your rise up through AIG up to that chief underwriting officer position seems like a very quick and fast trajectory once you join the insurance industry. Would you put that down to your expertise and knowledge of data analytics space? Did that really help? You know, it, no, it was definitely an interesting situation. And I, I credit most sort of the senior leadership at AIG for kind of taking a bet on someone who'd been doing kind of data analytics, but, and, and I was pretty open with them saying, I know nothing about insurance. And, you know, the response was, hey, we've got 40,000 people who know about insurance. It's the data analytics we're trying to add. And that was kind of the entry point. But I think the the first couple of years of seeing, you know, it's not just the pure ways of thinking about analytics and technology and models, but how you merge that with the way sort of the traditional underwriting works and all of the judgment and expertise at the company. I think the mix of those and figuring out how to put those together, which I think is a combination of IQ and EQ of building a team that can do that, was uh, was something the company really took a bet on. And again, becoming chief underwriting officer without a 30-year underwriting career was was a bet on you know, a new direction for the industry and yeah. the company. Yeah. And then you move from a big beast, a huge corporate insurance company like AIG and went into the startup world. Is that entrepreneurial spirit something that you've always had or is that something that sort of taken more of an interest further on in your career? Uh, you know, I think I'd first been exposed to that part of the world within the venture capital time and even the consulting firm I joined, which is now huge. Oliver Ryman at that time was, you know, 40, 50, 50 employees. So I like the sort of feel of a small group of people going after a big problem. And as painful and difficult as it can be getting something off the ground, you see the impact every day and you can really be nimble in thinking about how the opportunities are, are unfolding. Part of it too, I think, was there were ideas that are just hard to exploit and and undertake and, and really go after within a big company like AIG. They're not built for that kind of innovation and challenge you know, to the core business. So much of the business is sort of a standard established way of doing things. But I do think that's where a lot of the opportunity is as entrepreneurial talent kind of comes into the insurance industry and starts kind of questioning some of the core ways things have been done and figuring out how to improve things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Thank you for that, Mario. I think it's great, obviously, getting insight into your career ahead of our questions today. As we are in the insurance coffee house, though, our listeners all get asked the same question. What is your go-to coffee of choice in the morning? 
So the there's a couple of brands, but the key thing for me is I grind beans every morning and I uh, get make drip coffee with a sprinkle of salt in it, actually, which is like an old family family trick, but but really improves the flavor. But I'm pretty much useless until that first cup is uh, is consumed in the yeah. morning with milk. That's the first time I've heard about salt. I might have to give that a go. <laughs> Do you reckon a bit of salt in your Nespresso or only if it's freshly ground? I don't know that. Um, I think it works with any coffee. It doesn't need to yeah. be freshly ground, but through in the drip machine, it works particularly well. Yeah. I don't know what, yeah. what it does, but it does. I've done head to head and it does taste better. Just a little sprinkle. Exactly. Okay. okay. Give it a try. Thank you. <laughs> I'll give that a try tomorrow morning. Absolutely. <laughs> thank, you, thank you for that. Yeah, Madhu, can I start off with asking you to explain a little bit more about what Corvus does and sure of where the business is now? Sure, sure. And so Corvus, I think, broadly is focused on, as I said, sort of protecting policyholders and companies' digital operations and digital assets. And it really is, I think, a big category that the traditional insurance industry had had been overlooking or sort of underwriting or approaching in a in more in an old-fashioned way. And today, the kind of sharpest expression of that is cyber insurance, which is protecting businesses against ransomware, business interruption, that sort of thing. But I see, I see that expanding as there are more and more sort of cyber adjacent businesses and more and more of sort of company operations are sort of dependent on things that happen online. So Corvus is now at about 250 people. So beyond the startup stage, but pre a giant player or, or a giant established player. And it's a combination of insurance experts and insurance practitioners and more outside the industry, data science, technology product management experts, which I think kind of has made a good combination in, in thinking about it. The uh, As I said, we're mostly focused on the cyber insurance line today, which is, you know, I think rapidly growing and one that's sort of topsy-turvy, you know, from how it had been written for the first maybe 15, 20 years of its existence. And, you know, I think we're finding a lot of growth in that area in a very kind of interesting situation where uh, customers are really clamoring. It's not a push situation, but a pull situation as customers are kind of waking up to this risk and, and seeing how critical it is to protect against it. The new customers coming in and traditional customers expanding their coverage and limits, which is you know, a rare thing in insurance when your customers really are alert and, and knocking on your door for, for a product. Yeah, clearly becoming much more of a risk for not only those traditional buyers of cyber insurance, but I'm sure the main sort of commercial market in general, almost every business will have some sort of digital exposure, certainly coming through in the pandemic. What are the product, what are the services that you provide to those policy holders and how are they adapted from your sort of maybe traditional cyber risk policies? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, you know, I think for the first, as I said, sort of 15, 20 years that this product existed, it was kind of ironically the least digital and technologically enabled product. And it was generally, hey, you're buying some other products, how about a side order of cyber? And uh, it wasn't really sort of carefully underwritten or, or risk managed. I think sort of the recent claims and attacks have sort of changed the view on that. And you know, I think that the model we use is, is a bit different from sort of the traditional way of looking at this. One is the data we look at in underwriting is not just sort of the traditional firmographic information, but lots of data through the through our Corvus scan of network topography, weak points, really trying to look at a company the way that an, uh, an attacker or sort of malware or a ransomware actor would kind of look at it. The second part 
though, is a lot more uh, sort of direct and continuous engagement with policyholders. And you know, this is not one where you sort of underwrite the policy and then you know, see you in 365 days. We really scan our customers continuously, give them feedback on vulnerabilities. Um, the, the, w- one of the observations about this market generally is you can see evidence of threat actors or emerging attack vectors. And if you can go back and have a link with your policyholders and a trusted relationship with them, along with their intermediaries, you can actually get them to close down or protect themselves uh, through the through the policy, which again, is sounds trivial, but is very different from the way the industry has traditionally operated. And I think more and more products will look like that downstream. So it's a, um, a product that's very dynamic and a consultative, continuous engagement through the process with our policyholders and, the, and, our, and their intermediaries to uh, make sure they're protecting themselves carefully as, as, as attacks evolve. So with those policyholders who may not be of the size to have a, an internal cybersecurity team, they would actually benefit from some market intelligence or some diagnostics that you've been running that actually they're a little bit more vulnerable at this present time or on this area of their business. And maybe there's some things that they can put in place to prevent a loss from happening. Absolutely. And it's, I think it's it's a way that insurance is supposed to work, which is we've got all the data about incidents and claims and feeding back actionable insights back to our policyholders about, you know, there's attacks look like this, or this is an important time to have data recovery, or these are sort of your most vulnerable attack points and really kind of working with them to see how they respond and sort of strengthening their security posture. Again, it's sort of the way insurance is, is I think, really meant to work and kind of on the same side of the table. Yeah. And what would you say are the main sort of benefits for those policyholders? And do you also distribute out through brokers or is it very much a direct to policyholder model? Uh, no, it's all through uh, brokers and agents and yeah. intermediaries. And you know the, like the way we view it, and maybe this is the, the part, the insurance DNA in our business, which is customers and policyholders really trust and rely on those intermediaries. And how do we make both the policyholders and the intermediaries smart in this process it has been our strategy uh, from the beginning. I think some of the benefits for policyholders really are around that sort of consultative information, even in, in underwrite, you know, even for policies or or, or customers that we don't work with, we give them feedback about, you know, this is why these are the things that made it tougher or this sort of drove our pricing yeah. decision. And, you know, using that price signal or underwriting signal to, you know, basically make, uh, you know, help them become safer and more secure. Fantastic. Looking ahead now, how do you see the insurance market developing over the next five years? Is that cyber element, that cyber risk, something that obviously you've identified as a, as a, as a big growth area? How do you see that developing and what do you think businesses um you know should be doing to you know protect themselves from that yeah no look i I actually think it's kind of a watershed moment for the insurance industry you know we can adapt and start protecting and helping our policyholders with this sort of brand new type of risk and a brand new sort of version of security and safety Um, if we don't respond and we sort of traditionally focus on you know hard assets we'll protect your building we'll protect your employees in, in the, the workplace, those kinds of things, you know, it would just will sort of lose relevancy. But you know, the policyholders and businesses are really crying out for support and help and thinking about this. And again, the, indus- the insurance industry, the one sort of 
great scarce asset we always have is real data about incidents and how that sort of correlates to security posture and then sort of the right kind of remediation and response after that and how we kind of step up and uh, and play the role that we should be playing as these kind of new risks emerge is, is I think really a critical critical moment for us. And in five years, we'll know whether the industry has become the right thought partner and leader in this or whether we've sort of kind of abdicated that role and policyholders end up just focusing on their own kind of cybersecurity services and that kind of thing to protect themselves. So I think it's kind of a critical moment of, you know, again, as I said, more and more uh, companies are reliant on digital and online operations for their businesses or their assets are digital or online. And you know, if we find out how to sort of help them with that, I think there's, that positions the industry very well going forward. Yeah, huge opportunity. Do you see, you know, these traditional bricks and mortar businesses who their biggest risk might well be in real estate or in sort of general liability risks? that's really moving now to much more of a digital risk and a, and a cyber risk and actually rather than the cyber being a bolt-on or an add-on to their general policy it could almost be turned 360 or <laughs> or 180 even and and that actually becomes the the main risk in the main part of their insurance process no i, I think you hit the nail on the head and i think that's right and uh, i think the sort of traditional assets and traditional operations will always be important but even as folks are working from home as you know there's sort of real critical assets and ip are online that's really where the industry needs to focus and really to be a relevant partner in for the, for our policyholders absolutely we've now reached that time the espresso round where the questions are short sharp and straight to the point so i, I know you like a fresh grind and a <laughs> so yeah. in your coffee in the morning are you ready for the espresso round now yes i think so i think so great stuff the espresso round Manu, what percentage of your employees at the moment are from a traditional insurance background compared to a non-insurance background it's probably about 50 50 which i think is is a good mix and it's really sort of data science product technology folks kind of coming in and applying their thought process to the insurance world. Um, we do have traditional underwriters. We have folks like me that have spent time in the industry and can kind of bridge the new ways of doing things to the traditional ecosystem and the way customers and uh, policyholders uh, think about the business. Clearly, you've identified a lot of value in high-performance insurance careers and bringing them in, into your business. Can I ask you, though, do you find it's easier to bring in those people who are used to working in those traditional ways and maybe retraining them to, to work in the new way that you work? Or is it easier to bring people in and train them up from the ground up? No, I, I think it's both. And even at, at traditional carriers, they're always sort of imaginative folks and people who are questioning the ways things work and you know have sort of unresolved questions of we've always done this way, why don't we do it this other way? And those really are gems. You know, they're folks who kind of know, steeped in the current ways of doing things and products, but have the curiosity to do things differently. And you know, if it, I had to characterize it, I, and one thing that kind of look for always in interviewing or new candidates is sort of this balance between knowing and learning. And a lot of traditional insurance is all about who you know, what you know, the sort of arcana of different products and how they work. But that works is just sort of less relevant or, or less helpful in areas like cyber insurance, where you know nobody was really talking about ransomware five years ago. And it's kind of how quickly you adapt, how quickly you can change your sort of assumptions and posture. And that kind of mix of 
you know, you need the knowledge and, and it is a regulated, you know, historical product with ways and traditional ways of being distributed. But that learning aspect of how you adapt to new claims types, new ways the customers are thinking about things, new ways to reach and engage, that kind of mix, I think, is critical, both individually and in the sort of composition of the organization. Yeah, I can see that learning piece is really critical. Those risks, actually, in two or three years' time, those risks are not even there at the moment. People don't can't even identify what those risks and challenges will be, as opposed to sort of those more traditional areas of insurance, you know, bricks and mortar, which stay relatively consistent over over many decades. What would you say are the personalities which best suit working at a business like yours? Uh, so I, I think that learning component and curiosity, sort of comfort in ambiguity and a sort of testing experimentation mindset uh, versus a kind of operating with certainty. I think all those are just essential given how sort of rapidly things are evolving. That kind of comfort with testing and failing is a big one. And sometimes that's very hard at big established companies, but I often ask you know, candidates or folks we're talking to, just what are things they tried that didn't work out and what are risks they took either with their role or with their department? That's kind of the DNA and approach that we need, especially when things aren't figured out. And, uh, you know, and, and people who can sort of take pride and adapt to those situations, I think are the ones that will really sort of advance and do best in a situation that's very dynamic. That's such a fantastic fresh approach to things and i'm sure those candidates that you speak to really engage in that and it's probably something you know fairly new to them being allowed to sort of make those mistakes and take those risks to further the business switching things over what opportunities can you provide to those high performing people that would add a lot of value to your business no, so we're we're hiring across the board, and uh, everybody at Corvus is extremely busy and 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 full out and looking for help um, just for the volume of business we're we're getting and and all the sort of ambitions we have to build and grow. So the there are traditional underwriters, claims people, distribution folks we're looking for. Uh, that have been doing that potentially in other places, but are want to move to a more dynamic uh, environment and places where you know your ideas will get implemented and tested. And uh, you know we're we're doing some things traditional ways, but the clay isn't fully hardened, and so we can experiment and, and innovate all the time. Um, and you know folks that are intrigued by insurance who've got you know product data, technology expertise, you know, the, the industry does have, sometimes I think of it as having this sort of protective shield of boringness you know, that kind of repels talent. I think it's changed a little bit as sort of insure techs, some insure techs have, have, uh, have had more sort of very visible success. But I, I think even on the data science side, you know, this is not optimizing th click through, it's not high frequency trading. You know, when, when we sort of change recommendations or the price signal of our product really is making policyholders safer. You know, that mission of a safer world through the insurance price signal and through our data is very real. And I think that's something where the industry needs a little bit of sort of some publicity or PR change. Uh, but, you know, the, the way that uh, uh, sort of the, the things that we do and, and both in products and the way we counsel our policyholders really does have a very real impact in responding to, uh, you know, to, to the biggest threats they face. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th I think actually within the industry, it's something that we can promote further and make that move into the industry seem more appealing. Because I think a lot right. of people, once they're in the industry, they realize the huge opportunity and um, you know career that they can have within the industry and the opportunities and the, like you, know, like you said, the protection that insurance can provide to wider society as a whole. So I think that's a, I think that's a great point. 
what would your advice be, Paddy, if there are any executives or leaders from the insurance industry, maybe a traditional carrier, traditional brokerage, considering that move to an insure tech or a, you know, a you know, fast growth technology company like yourselves, what do you think they should be doing now in order to prepare themselves for that transition? You know, it's um I think part of it, and it's, it can be very hard to do this within established companies. And I think it's it's a comfort in thinking about what they would do differently if they had a clean sheet of paper, how they would approach things differently. Even if they can't do that in their current institutions, just getting the imagination flowing about what's possible. That's a, a great thing to talk to an insure tech about, which is, hey, you know, this is how I see things, but what if we did it this way or that way? Or wouldn't this be an opportunity? That's the kind of thing. We can actually act on those things. And that's the sort of imagination uh, that we're looking for. Again, the, the, the real gems are folks who've been in the industry and understand how it operates, but still have that sort of curiosity and imagination to do something different. And uh, you know, we, I think we have a pretty unique and interesting sort of foundation for, for those type of people to, to see their uh, ideas come to life. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. We've Almost reached the end of our time together today, Madhu. The time has certainly flown very quickly. Before we go, though, do you have one piece of closing advice for our listeners and how would they go about reaching out to you after the show? I think this is a tremendously interesting, exciting time for insurance where the risks, the approaches, the way policyholders are engaging with the product are all changing. And imagination and new thinking really will drive different outcomes now. So for folks who are in the industry, I think looking for platforms to really do things in a brand new way or, or see their ideas come to life, you know, this is the time and find the right place for that. For folks outside the industry, it's kind of take a moment to understand what it's about, sort of penetrate through and see that it is really a mission-driven industry. The safer world is really something we focus on and, and potentially can drive. And that's a very kind of inspiring place and, and way to work. In terms of reaching out, again, as I said, we're looking for folks in pretty much every role possible and, and looking for talent at, at all levels. So the I believe a lot of our jobs are on the Corvus website, but reaching out to our HR and talent acquisition, uh, they're eager, ready, and waiting for, for candidates to come through. Awesome. awesome. We'll certainly work with you to put those contact details on our on our show notes so your listeners can reach straight out to you either to the website or uh, directly to your talent attraction team. Madhu, thank you so much for that closing advice as well. Really inspirational. I think it's a great time to be in the industry, but it's also a great opportunity for people looking for that next opportunity to come and join this great industry. And I think there's some fantastic opportunities ahead. So thank you for leaving us on that positive note. And thank you for joining us today. No, thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Pleasure's been all ours, Madhu. And I'm sure our listeners would have gained a lot of valuable insights and um, some, some great learnings and also learned an awful lot about Corvus Insurance today. To all the insurance and insure tech leaders out there, wherever you are listening around the world today, we thank you for tuning in and I'm sure you would have gained a lot of valuable insights and learning from our guest today. If you did enjoy the show, please remember to download and subscribe to the pod to receive each one of our episodes directly into your app each week. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show or would like to learn more about the competitive advantage that podcasts can give to your business when attracting talent, please reach out to us at insurance-search.com or drop us a message on LinkedIn. Until next time, I've been Nick Codley. This has been the Insurance Coffeehouse Global Insure Tech Series. Take care. 
You've been listening to the Insurance Coffee House with Nick Hoadley. Join us next time to hear more insights and inspiring success stories to help you become a better insurance business leader. Available to download or subscribe now.